If you enjoy listening to Voices in Cloud, check out David Linthicum's reports on gigaohm.com. They're about data complexity and cloud solutions, addressing many of the topics covered in this podcast series. Hey guys, welcome to the GigaOwn Voices in the Cloud podcast. This is the one place where you will hear from industry thought leaders providing no-nonsense advice on how to succeed with cloud computing, IoT edge computing, and cognitive computing. I'm Dave Linthicum, best-selling author, speaker, executive, and B-List Geek. And this week, my special guest is Mark Weaver. He's a top-ranked certified AWS solutions architect specializing in business, applications, data center migrations uh, to the AWS cloud. So we've got a guy who really does it. I'm focused on creating secure, highly available and cost-efficient environments in the AWS cloud to meet all modern compliance standards, including HIPAA, PCI, and SOC2. We need to probably talk about that. I don't know what that is. Uh, AWS instructor and SME for Simply Learn, an online IT training certification course. We have that in common. Uh, instructor for Cloud Guru, world-leading cloud computing training, and prior... Uh, uh, to starting his role at, uh, how do you pronounce that, Mark? D- uh, a data stable? Databaseable. Um, Databaseable. Yeah, it's based off the. Yeah, it's based off the fact I used to be database related. Um, I'll talk more about that in a moment. <laughs> With 15 years of experience of doing in-house IT consulting for large investment banks in New York, London, and Sydney. Sydney, and so, so this is interesting. So you know, kind of catch us up on uh, you know what you've been doing in the last three years, specifically around the cloud stuff. And I, I want to know what SOC two is. Uh, SOC two. Well, that's just that's one of the many auditing procedures out there that ensures that um, service providers securely manage your data to protect your uh, personal information. So it's just just yet another auditing compliance that's out there. Got it. So what do you do day to day? What's uh, what's kind of your passion? What kind of things do you work on in the uh, cloud these days? Well, I mean, as the well, databaseable, actually, I'll go back to that. Databaseable was the name. I thought it was kind of cool because I worked with databases for so long and I was like, oh, it sounds catchy. But I'm actually sort of rebranding to AWS Migration Expert because that, <laughs> so I bought the URL for that, which uh, kind of encompasses and explains what I do a little bit better than what databaseable does. Um, but on a day to day, it's I find my work is 50% designing new um, AWS architectures for businesses and applications that want to move to the cloud. And the other 50% of my time is spent working with people who already made the move to the cloud and uh, looking to progress to the next step. Um, I find people get get into the cloud very easily and then lose their way even more easily. Um, and I'm sort of coming in to help and re-engineer and reorganize things to make things a little bit more more optimal and uh, working a bit more efficiently and sort of, you know, navigating your way around AWS. As I heard you allude to on a couple of your other podcasts, you know, it's a bit of a minefield now with the number of services they have available. So just being able to consult and advise and guide people in the correct direction. Yeah, so I think we're going we're gonna to reach a point where uh, just the number of lily pads in AWS as a world that we can jump to is going is to be so confusing. It's going to be very difficult. We're going to need guys like you to you know, basically you know, uh, guide us through the minefields out there. But, you know, uh, some of the big announcements from AWS reInvent last year and, uh, you know, around the, uh, you know, outposts, uh, you know, things like that, AWS and hybrid outposts, and that new battleground for vendors, uh, you know, those sorts of things were Google release Anthos, cloud optimization to keep on, you know, ultimately these things are um, in essence on, you know, confusion on top of confusion for some of these enterprises. For other enterprises, there's deep opportunity for them to kind of get control over, um, you know, some of the things that they needed to get control over. 
So let's talk a bit about Outpost because I love to kind of, uh, you know, key in on that. I wrote some blogs about it and I, I attended the, uh, actually attended reInvent, which is unusual for me. Um, what do you think the fit for that is and what do you, how do you think enterprises should be thinking about it? Well, I mean, it's interesting because when AWS uh, teamed up with VMware, which was a couple of years ago now, I was, you know, I didn't really, didn't really see where it was going, but obviously this was the, the end game so that they could, you know, you can run AWS in your own on-premise data center as well in, as in the cloud. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of use for it. It's, it's weird how when I, when I work in the cloud, I find thing comes, things come in waves, you know, so I'll be like a new, so like, um, you know, SOC 2, for instance, you know, I had nothing to do with it. Then all of a sudden, three clients appear out of nowhere, all wanting SOC 2 compliance. And recently, I've had a lot of clients come through that have stuff in the cloud, but they're, they're handling my credit card data, for example. And the people who own the credit card data, the companies they're getting it from, will not let them put it in the cloud. So it has to be in a, a co-location somewhere. And the guy was saying, well, how can we, how can we do this? So we're going to end up with two disparate IT environments. And this is where Outpost is going to come in and sort of make it so much easier. I mean, being able to run, you know, have two identical AWS environments, but one's in your local data center, which appeases all the security requirements of that particular vendor. And then you can have the advantage of running the rest of it in the cloud for a reduced cost and greater flexibility. Um, and also for DR as well. I mean, it's going to be remarkable if you can just have your infrastructure running in the cloud and with a click of a button, you can bring it up in another data center in a totally different cloud or different site, I can see it being a big thing, um, which is obviously what Google think as well, because they've also, you know, released their thing, Anthos, which only came out last week. And I would expect Microsoft will have something in the pipeline as well. So let's talk about Anthos. I, I did a blog, uh, I did a, a podcast on my other, uh, other podcast about Anthos and actually from the floor of uh, Google Next. And there seemed to be um, some confusion out there with people who weren't attending the conference. So some people looked at it as, you know, Google kind of steering away from cloud as a strategic direction. And other people looked at it as really something that's uh, going to be a game changer in the fact that, other, that a cloud provider, uh, in this case Google, will accept the fact that there are other clouds in the world and be able to, you know, build infrastructure to work and play with those clouds. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a game-changing thing to do. It reminds me a bit of when Rackspace could see they were losing market share and decided to become an AWS specialist um, and would help you migrate to AWS. You know, I guess I'm not saying Google is going to go the way of Rackspace, but the fact that they aren't the only cloud in the game and they are losing market share, but the fact you can now run uh, Google products on AWS or Azure is, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. That can only be a win for them, especially in the container um, realm, because, I mean, that's obviously Google, Google and Google invented Kubernetes or, you know, or a part of that. So, you know, it's definitely a big, big win for them. I can see it being huge. And it's interesting that they've got it out much faster than Outposts because AWS did their usual of announcing it and, you know, nothing's happened yet. If we see it in September, we might be lucky. So it's uh, it's definitely a game changer for me. I feel. Yeah, and I think that uh, that's that's probably the trend of things going forward. And and are we going to get to a point where we're going to have uh, these redundant services that exist in different cloud providers, and uh, in essence uh, have some emerge as best of breeds, where a single cloud provider will you know provide something you know all along to you know whatever Kubernetes 2.0 is or you know whatever the next generation of container orchestration is what we're talking about. Instead of leveraging um, things that are more proprietary and how we solve the pro, um, how we solve those things, we have one cloud provider 
that's able to produce a service and the other cloud providers are able to build services around it. Are we going to have that kind of uh, cooperation going on? I think, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot more um, cross-pollination than we were led to believe. Because when this started, it seemed to be like a land grab. Who could who could get the most data centers out there and grab the most customers? Um, and I know I do, a lot of clients I speak to are concerned about vendor lock-in. So I can see, yeah, I can definitely see a hybrid approach. And, you know, if Microsoft is better at one thing and Google another and AWS another, especially where cost is involved, then corporations will always go where the where the most cost savings can be made. So I can absolutely see that happening, um, which will be interesting. Yeah, it'll make uh, my job and your job a little bit more easier when we can, um, in essence, point to a single solution that the industry agrees upon that uh, you know we should look and you know do some slicing, uh, slicing and dicing about it. it. Seems like I'm in a lot of meetings where we're just you know talking about the difference between the cloud providers, and then many of the patterns are overlapping. And typically, clients out there are moving into multi-cloud environments, and they're Leveraging cloud management platform, and I, I guess we're going to figure out how Anthos fix, figures into that once we test the thing. And certainly things like Outpost uh, is interesting, and certainly things like Stack uh, is interesting. But going forward, um, you know, we are going to see some winners and losers in the space, and I think that's going to be okay. I think you know, there's still going to be a trillion-dollar market um, for all of these various cloud providers to get after. And I think if it's ultimately we're able to mix and match these multi-cloud solutions to get the best of breed, which I think enterprises are going to be doing anyway, that's okay. In fact, I think it's not beyond okay. I think it's better than, you know, currently doing the infighting now and the religious talks, things like that, that are that are kind of getting us nowhere in many instances. Yeah, no, I agree. And also, I mean, there is, there's definitely been some uh, reduction in the competitors out there. I mean, if you look at the Gartner Magic Quadrant over the last five or six years, you know, like the number of dots on that graph are disappearing. There's like only like five or six, I think, on the last one. As Google and Microsoft and AWS sort of sort of streak ahead, um, it was interesting that you were saying because I, I, I read a report the other day, and I need to, I probably should have got more statistics to back this up. But they were saying that ten percent of people that are moving to the cloud are only there. So this, like by twenty twenty five, would be another eighty percent of businesses would be involved in the cloud somehow. So that's kind of remarkable. And obviously, AWS, Microsoft, and Google can't swallow all of that up. There has to be a there has to be some other other products and services out there that people will use. It's just waiting to see what those will be. Yeah, and I think that the the, the fact and the reality is is that uh, everything is not um, you know uh, a, a, a migratable thing to the cloud, and so we have things that are you know I figure it's about thirty percent of the workloads on average, but it may be a little more, a little less as we kind of un, unpeel that onion that are just uneconomically viable to move to the cloud. That doesn't mean they're not important applications, but if they're, you know, legacy-based systems, they're, you know, DEC, uh, you know, uh, DEC, uh, PDP-11s, things like that, that are, you know, running some of the, the businesses, it just doesn't really make sense that we're going to have rewrite them, you know, so they run on cloud-based systems. So I think the movement into kind of these catch-all, um, you know, kinds of pseudo-clouds, like uh, managed service providers, um, colos, things like that will be... Um, a much more viable option. So I, I think we will see a mix of the public cloud providers, and I think it will be AMG uh, that, that uh, really kind of rise to the top. You know, Alibaba's out there too. We'll see where those guys go. But I think that the managed service providers, and there's a lot of them out there, uh, are really going to fulfill a niche that probably the enterprises don't understand they have right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been working with another client recently who do, um, they do a, like, when renegotiation, they'll help you 
no matter what your software licensing is, they help you, you know, get the best deal. They know what what you discounts you can get, and they will work with you to get that down. Um, and now they've now they've moved into the cloud space, so they're now trying to uh, work out the best way forward for um, cloud negotiation. Because obviously, like battling with these these guys is uh, is pretty hard work. You don't mention cloud optimization as a topic we're looking to discuss, and the thing is that that kind of jumped out at me as something that's almost important but forgotten in the place. And the fact of the matter is, is that um, picking cloud and picking cloud environments and best of breed environments, things like that, ultimately we need to have the ability to ensure that we're optimizing the solutions that we're getting to. One of the things that drives me nuts as an architect is people coming to me and saying, well, this is what we picked and we, 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 it works. And to me, that's not a solution. Now that's basically you picking a path there could be a hundred or a thousand different paths through the, different cloud-based services that you have going forward, but it's really kind of one path, which is completely optimized for what the business is looking to do. Are we not having a good visibility into what those optimizations are, how to get to those optimizations? And if not, what should we do to kind of ensure that we're, um, you know, getting to something that's going to be cheapest to run, most effective, most upgradable, less lock-in, things like that? Yeah, completely. I say it all the time. For those, when I get a client that comes along and hasn't moved to the cloud, and but they know they want to move to the cloud, that's, that's great because I'll put together several different options for them, a variety of different costs, different you know availability models, levels of complexity. You know, it could be the full-on API Lambda you know, situation, or it could just be some EC2 instances scattered around. But what I, the, the thing I don't like is when I go to clients and they've already just, because anyone can launch instances, anyone can launch databases, anyone can write Lambda functions, and they just launch them willy-nilly into their AWS environment. And then there's this mess, and they're saying, well, this works, this is our production environment. And it's like there's no thought gone into disaster recovery, compliance. So it's a total total mess of what can be done. And this is what I was talking about when I mentioned cloud optimization, is that people, you know, once they're in the cloud, it seems to be like a carte blanche just to go crazy in there. I was dealing with someone the other day. I went, I set their environment up for them just over a year ago and came back to do a review and like had quadrupled in size. I was like, what are all, what's going on there? And we managed to like delete half of the instances and volumes and databases that they just run amok with because uh, there's no, unless you have some governance going on, uh, anything seems to go, which is, you know, you obviously couldn't do this in the traditional data center. It was very much locked down and you have a team that did this and a team that did that. Um, yeah, but now in the cloud, it's like, Plus, yeah, you physical hardware, hardware going into the racks where in the cloud you don't see that. You're just uh, seeing virtual servers yeah. pop up. And it is kind of fun to, to launch a thousand instances of stuff. But uh, when you get the bill, not so fun. Yeah, and that's the people come and they say, well, I thought the cloud was going to be cheaper than this. And then you look at their account and you're like, well, it was if you'd stuck to the original plan. But, um, yeah, so I think there isn't, there's definitely a lack of planning and forethought that goes on when moving to the cloud. People just, uh, you know, you know how it is. I mean, it's excitable. I get it. Devs don't like to deal with uh, administrators or architects. They just want to build what they want to build. Um, but all too often, that seems to find its way into production. And then you're left like uh, reverse engineering everything to get it back to where it should be. Um, which is one of the, it's one of my few complaints of the cloud. It is too easy to run a mock with it. But um, obviously, the benefits far outweigh, you know, these minor complaints. Yeah, and I think that uh, it's not really the cloud provider's job to make sure that people don't run amok. In essence, they're looking to sell services, and that's kind of their role. And so they're not going to um, 
you know, stop a lot of this stuff from happening, but it comes into good architectural planning and discipline. And to your point, I think some of that's being tossed out the window as we're moving into the cloud. There's some organizations that are doing an exceptional job and doing the optimization and planning, but like in terms of the cost overruns, if they had, you know, cost-based governance systems, you know, that are in place and are able to kind of monitor, you know, what's going on and, you know, whether or not we're going out of budget and be able to uh, automatically shut down instances that aren't shut down. Um, I think those are, you know, those are just kind of easy things to put in place, but we uh, need to, in essence, get into a, and I know you teach some classes at, you know, some online classes as well, so do I, in terms of understanding, you know, what the best practices are and how to leverage them. So should people, you know, take your courses? Should they hire consultants? Should they get smart people in the organization? Should they hire cloud leaders or thought leaders in their organization? Or is it all of the above? I was just going to say all of the above. I mean, I definitely think anyone that's thinking, anyone in IT that's thinking of uh, utilizing the cloud, even if that's just uh, the management level, they should definitely do some of the more basic um, AWS, like cloud practitioner exams, just so they know what's going on. I mean, it's it's not vastly different from what used to be out there, but it's different enough that you need to understand. Um, so, And then, of course, anyone that is going to be involved on the front line, they absolutely should be learning. Getting AWS certified is definitely one of the first steps anyone should do because there is so much that's new and different, and it's a totally different way of thinking about it. Um, I love the way AWS always calls it the traditional data center, as if making it, you know, that's not, that's not good. Traditional is old. You know, we want to do the things the new cool way. Um, so get, definitely get some education. And the course I have on Simply Learn is pretty good. Um, and then um, on ACloud Guru, there's a course coming out on RDS which I did, which is a fun course about how you can easily get high availability with your databases, which previously would be like an absolute nightmare to, to set up. Um, but yeah, I don't think enough, I, I tend to work with small to medium sized businesses, so they definitely don't have like a cloud thought leader, not like your role at, um, at Deloitte. But if, if, you, if you can afford one, then absolutely that would be the way forward. Well, I guess that's why they're working with you. You're their cloud thought leader. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Kind of final topic, what, what do you see in terms of cloud trends? What are you seeing gaining momentum? What's going to get traction in the next few years? Let's, let's kind of put on our, our, uh, our, let's get our crystal balls out and see what's going to be a big deal in 2020 and 2021. Well, I mean, as I sent you, I see things of waves. I see, it's almost like um, clients, it's almost like they're on, um, <clears throat> they're running an Olympic race and like they finish, they, they, get, they, they win, they get a medal, they get bronze. And that's like the people that have come in and like, this is awesome. We've moved, moved to the cloud. We now have auto-scaling EC2 instances. It's much more dynamic. You know, it's more highly available. And then they sort of look up and see that the silver medal person in the race has, has moved to containers. And I see this, seeing a lot more movement in that direction. The amount of times people, I've had to explain what a container is to someone, um, you know, is increasing all the time. And I see that that's like, that's the next step. I feel like that's become, going to come more mainstream and we're going to see less and less of people just creating stuff for EC2 instances. Uh, excuse me. And then I feel at the moment, like the one that's winning is um, without a doubt serverless. Uh, people, when you explain to them what Lambda can do and how they can hook that in with like an API, people go crazy for it. Um, maybe too crazy in some situations, but because uh, it, there definitely does seem to be a cost, uh, a break-even point with Lambda compared to EC2 or containers. Um, but that's definitely the way serverless is, without a doubt, the way things are going. Um, and I can see, I don't know what it would be, but I can see some new services in that 
arena being released by all of the, the cloud the cloud providers over the next few years. Yeah, they're definitely focused on serverless, and I can understand why having built a few systems with serverless uh, serverless environments because. You know, it's just way easier. You're not having to do the back-end sizing kinds of things to figure out how much storage to attach or memory to attach. It does it automatically for you. But to your point, I guess there is some cost trade-offs in doing that. And one of the things on my to-do list is kind of set up a lab so I'm able to, you know, take a look at these various things in terms of how the cost is going to be uh, affected in a serverless environment versus something where I'm trying to size the environment. But the reality is, is that um, I'm not sure about what you're seeing. If you're seeing... Uh, a sized environment is typically missized. They're under under uh, resourcing and over resourcing it is not necessarily optimized for cost. And so, you think it's a good thing to take that out of the control of the people who are managing the clouds and put it into a serverless framework where they're the back end resources are leveraged and returned back to the pool. Yeah, I think as as you said, I think there's it works well up to a certain point. I mean, if you're going to have if you're going to build a piece of software or an application and the lambda functions firing a thousand times every second every minute of every every day then maybe serverless probably isn't you know might not be the way to go uh so there definitely needs to be more analysis on this front i have a few clients that had some runaway lambda functions that got got very expensive and they could have been running a pretty significantly sized ec2 farm for the cost they were spending um so yeah there definitely isn't enough cost governance and there definitely needs to be some more it's just, I mean, it's not even that difficult. It's just taking stock of what you have and uh, taking a step back and seeing what AWS has released and announced since you set this up. And, you know, maybe that isn't the way to go. And that's the beauty of the cloud. You can tear stuff down and create new stuff just as quickly. Yeah, it's all virtual. So you have to, you're, um, you're kind of removed from, um, you know, a lot of the details and moving around hardware and software like we used to do back in the day. I think it's better. Uh, but it's like a uh, chainsaw. You can uh, make some productive moves with it or you can do a ton of damage depending on how you want to point it. So anyway, uh, pick up a copy of my book, uh, Cloud Comedian and Soa Conversions, available on Amazon and other places books are sold. Also make sure to follow me on Twitter at, at Dave Linthicum, L-I-N-T-H-I-C-U-M, as well as LinkedIn, where I can where I have several cloud computing courses on LinkedIn learning, just as is Mark. So Mark, where can we find you on the web? Where are your courses? Where, uh, where can we find more about your company and yourself? Uh, so you can find me on my website, awsmigrationexpert.com or on databaseable.com. Uh, and then I've got courses on Simply Learn. If you just type in Simply Learn Solutions Architect, you'll find me. And I have a blog page on there as well with uh, some stuff that you may find interesting. Yeah, check out Mark specifically on dealing with the migration and architectural issues. There, It's uh, few and far between to find people who are you know, kind of up on those and, and always uh, you know attach yourself to people who know what they're doing and and learn all you can, especially people like Mark that are willing to share. I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Cloud, please check out the other ones. Removing hybrid and multi-cloud complexity is the focus of a report that David wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about taking IT to the next level, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.